Uh, I would like to uh, just kind of refresh our memory about where we are. Isn't it amazing how much we can get accomplished in a week and all the things that we do? Sometimes we come in on a Sunday, we feel like we were just here, and other times we feel like we've been gone for a year and it's only been a week because we just had such a jam-packed you know, uh, week before, be, between the last time we were here and, and this morning. And so it's good to be refreshed about where we are and the things that uh, we've been talking about, and so that's why we like to start with church life, which we did, and just a quick reminder of all that we've been into and uh, that we have our um, fellowship lunch today, and so we want to uh, remember that as well to continue our, our gathering time. But we began a, a few weeks ago our study in the Gospel of Mark, and um, the, the title for our series is simply The Way of Jesus. And it's really called that because Mark is very unique in uh, the four gospel writers in that he is a man of action. And he is a man who wants to get things done and kind of get right to the point. We've seen how he uses the word immediately a lot. And and he really wants to hit home the important points. And so he leaves out some details. And that's a beautiful thing. We have all the other, the three gospels to kind of fill all that in. But as we see Mark... Walk us through the life and ministry of Jesus. We see him talking about being on the way, where Jesus was on the way to the cross. But, sort of the sub-theme there, the narrative that's underneath it all and that weaves its way through is this, that we are disciples. A disciple is a learner. A disciple is one who sits at the feet of the master, of the teacher, and that's what we're called to do. And so Mark makes it clear that we are disciples of Jesus. So Jesus is calling his first disciples this morning in our passage in Mark 2. We see him call the next disciple, the fifth of the disciples, and we are called to be disciples as well. So that's where we are. We are in Mark chapter 2. We're going to simply look at verses 13 to 20. So as always, they'll be up on the screen and in a few minutes we'll read it together and refer back to them. But we're in Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 20. It is the story of Mark calling Matthew, the next disciple who was a tax collector, and how Jesus then did this radical thing of eating a meal with the sinners, the tax collectors and all the sinners. And then we see the those religious leaders, the scribes, here they are again, and they are beginning to call Jesus out. And Jesus then, as he does, as the great teacher, asks them questions. You ever notice that? You ever try that? It's really good in a conversation, in a debate even, somebody asks you a question, and you respond with a question. And Jesus does that all the time. He does that in our passage this morning. But Jesus is, is being called out by the leaders, the religious leaders, For eating with sinners and then not fasting when all of the other pious people, the real believers, the followers of the law, they're fasting. And so Jesus has something important to say to them. We'll see how it applies to us this morning. And you know, um, I I was um, going through the devotional that I've been using recently this week, and it's what we gave out for Father's Day. So men, hopefully you've been using this. Uh, maybe you have it by your bedside or, or tucked in your Bible, but 
it's really a wonderful devotional for men about walking by faith. And so I was, I was struck this week and hadn't occurred to me early on, but as I started using this, I'm reading this devotional. It's called Man of God Walking by Faith. It's got a picture of a couple of worn out boots in a Bible. And I look down and I look at my boot and my crutches. I'm saying, God, you're teaching me how to walk by faith. And so in a small way, I think, you know, of course, God uses all things that he allows to come into our life. He uses it for his glory and for our edification so that we can learn and grow from it. And so in some ways, I think that God allowed this chronic condition that I have. And we, we all have things going on with our bodies and our minds. We can relate to this. But I think in some ways he was telling me, slow down. Because in the devotional that I had for one of the days this week, the devotional writer quotes Isaiah 40, those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength and they shall walk and not, fa- uh, not faint. And he goes on to just talk very briefly in this little devotional about how we forget that walking takes deliberation. It takes being intentional, doesn't it? I mean, in today's society, we move so fast. We get in our car, we go over we want. We can get on a train, we can get out of a plane, and we can go fast. And we run everywhere, we jog. Even if we walk, lots of times we're walking fast. But you know, I've had to slow down, and God might use something else in your life to slow you down from time to time to remember that our life in Christ really is a walk. We don't say to each other, how's your jog in Christ these days? Or how's your running, how's your sprint to your marathon, right? We say, how's your walk with the Lord? Because that's what we're supposed to picture, right? That the Lord is alongside of us and he's walking with us. And it's those times like I've needed where we see those proverbial like just one set of footprints because the Lord is carrying us because we can't walk on our own and we've all been there. And so the Lord has slowed me down. And in some ways I've been reminded and I'm glad for it that This life in Christ is a walk, and walk takes deliberation, and you walk slowly, and you notice things when you're walking that you don't necessarily notice when you're driving, or when you're jogging or running, or when you're going through your day so fast, you can miss so much that God has for you. So perhaps he's tugging on your heart in a different way recently to say slow down slow down and recognize who I am and what I want to do in your life because we serve an amazing God don't we and so he wants to do amazing things and oftentimes I think it's sad but it's true that we can just blow right by them all those things that God has for us so let us slow down and even as we begin our week together here, and as we look at this chapter in Mark about Jesus calling his next disciple and speaking to the scribes, the religious leaders, let's slow down. Let's kind of slow our minds down and slow down everything you're thinking about. Yes, and in, in less than an hour, we're going to be eating lunch, and probably in 20 minutes, you'll start to smell it, and that's all good. But you know what? Let's not race to get there. When we approach God's word, the very word of God, let's slow down and let's not miss 
what he has. For as we walk by faith, let us not rush through his word either. Let us walk through it. Sometimes crawl as we study it because we don't want to miss what he has in store for us through his living word. As we remember that the written word will always point us to the living word, and that is the Lord Jesus. So let's then look, as we take a walk through, Mark 2, verses 13 to 20. And I will read it. It says this, He, meaning Jesus, went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him. And he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he, meaning Jesus, reclined at a table in his house, meaning Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and with his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And I came. Not to call the righteous, but sinners. So now John's disciples and the Pharisees, they were fasting. And people came and said to him, why? Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. So Jesus responds in a parable. Next week we'll look at a couple other parables that he used in the same response, but we're just going to focus on this one. So Jesus calls his next disciple Levi who then throws a party, and then we see the scribes always there, kind of showing up. Can you just picture Jesus being, man, here they are again. They were in the house when the paralytic came, and here they are at the party. They're always showing up, and Jesus, of course, needs to confront them because they're trying to call him out for being the blasphemer they believe he is. So let's go through each of these sections and see what it is that God might have for us this morning as we walk slowly through his word and see how we can apply it to our lives. We always want to look at the implications for us as disciples and the applications about how his word applies to us today. So Jesus calls Levi. It says Jesus went out again. Remember, they're in Galilee, Capernaum, which is sort of his home base, probably staying at the house of Peter. So it says, okay, Jesus went out again by the sea and the crowd, ever-present, right, causing those issues, but they're coming out. You can't blame them. They're looking for healing. 
They're looking for healing. And so the crowd was coming to him, but what was he doing? Again, teaching them. Just like he was in the house where he heals the paralytic, Jesus did not start with just performing miracles because his sole purpose was to come and teach the good news of the kingdom. So we keep that in perspective. Jesus performed miracles and he cast out demons. He heals people and he feeds the multitudes all to give credibility and verification and validity to his teaching and to his deity. So it says, and as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, who we know to be Matthew, more commonly known as Matthew. He was sitting at a tax booth. So he had already called four fishermen, remember? So he called Simon Peter, and he called his brother Andrew, and then he called John and James, also brothers. They were fishermen. And now he calls a tax collector, Matthew, his next disciple. And he was sitting at his tax booth doing his job. So here is Levi at work, just like the fishermen were at work. You see a common theme here? They're at work and Jesus calls them. And it says that he saw Levi sitting at the tax booth and Jesus simply says to him, follow me. So he rose up and he followed him. So let's look first at Matthew real quick. Now Matthew is the one, of course, who wrote the gospel. The first gospel we have in the New Testament. Matthew writes primarily to Jewish believers, to Jewish people, because Matthew himself is a Jew. But even more reason that he was hated by his fellow Jews, because he was a Jew who was a tax collector. So he was considered a traitor by his people, especially the religious leaders. So he was hated. So that's why he was grouped in there with the sinners. Isn't it interesting? They were called sinners and tax collectors, like a special designation for those sinners. Because they were traitors to the Jewish people, but not only traitors in that they were working for the, Roman, um, for the Romans who were occupying them. I mean, that's bad enough because he was a traitor, but working for Herod, Herod Antipas, who was the ruler of Galilee at the time. But also tax collectors were known. They were nefarious for being cheaters, unscrupulous, fraudulent, often charging much more than they were required to pay. And so tax collectors really were looked at as the worst of the sinners. And so Jesus calls one of them. Can you imagine? Jesus is so scandalous, isn't he? A rebel and a revolutionary, always going against the grain. So he calls Matthew a tax collector, who is known, of course, to be one of the sinners. Now, when we see the word sinners used, I think we have an understanding of what that means because we're all sinners. We recognize that before God, every human is a sinner in that we have that sin nature that separates us from God. And that's what Jesus died for, to reconcile us to God. His blood was shed for us because sin cannot enter into the presence of God. But when we see the word sinner used here, what it really meant, especially to the religious leaders, it meant those who did not keep the law that they cherished so much. It was those who were either uneducated in the law, or it was those who knew the law but did not keep it. Those were the 
sinners, the ones who were not following after God. So the religious leaders, the scribes of the Pharisees, especially in our story, they said they were sinners. That's who was considered sinners, those who were uneducated in the law or did not keep the law. So it was the tax collectors, it was the prostitutes, it was those who were marginalized by the society at the time. They were called sinners. Now Jesus calls one of these sinners, Levi, who we know to be Matthew, who went on to write the famous gospel. But you know what? We don't know much more about him. There's not much more said about Matthew after his calling, except for the fact that we have the amazing gospel that he wrote. What's interesting to note is this. Now, we're not in the gospel of Matthew, but when you read it, which many of you have, of course, we've all read parts of it, you notice that Matthew fills in a lot of the details that Mark doesn't. And Matthew, of course, gives us great detail and focus on many of the aspects of Jesus' life. And he specifically is, is writing to the Jewish believers and gives us a lot of detail. Part of that is, very simply, that God used him and, of course, inspired him so we know the Word is the Word of God. But when, we, when he inspires the writers of Scripture, he does so within their own personality and style. And as a tax collector, what's interesting to know is that Matthew would have had to have known how to take a form of shorthand. It was like, as a tax collector, he would have had to have known numbers, known details, write out things very quickly. So when he heard of Jesus, when he heard his words, he was able to write down and even think as a tax collector and get a lot of the details straight. See, Mark is more of that man of action who wants to get to the point and talk about immediately moving on on the way, but Matthew, who gives more detail, was more inclined to do so as a tax collector. It's important we kind of know these details in this background as we read the pages of Scripture to see who is it that's writing these things and why is one gospel a little bit different from the other? But we can read them all together and see the beauty in the life and teachings of Jesus. So Jesus calls Matthew. What do we see from that? How do we apply that to our lives? It very just simply says that he said, follow me, and Jesus and um, Matthew followed him. I think we are to be reminded that we need to be ready. How many of us are truly ready for Jesus to call us? Now, as believers in Christ, church, we have been called. We have believed in the Lord Jesus for salvation. If we have chosen to be his disciple and to learn and to grow and to serve him, our master, we have to be ready to be called by our teacher, don't we? At any time, any place, at any age. Jesus is not a respecter of those things in a sense. He'll call us no matter where we are in life, whatever stage, maybe you've been retired for 20 years, God's got something that he's brewing and orchestrating behind the, the, the scenes for you. But we just need to be ready. See, Matthew was ready. He had most certainly had met Jesus before. We talked about that with the other disciples. But now he was ready. He had believed in the Lord Jesus as Messiah. Now Jesus says, now it's time to be my disciple and follow me. So he gets up and he says, yes, I'm ready. He called him right where he was working as a tax collector. Right in the midst of his daily routine and his life that he had chosen for himself. How is God calling you? 
And are you ready? Are you ready to move? Are you ready to move as the master calls you? For disciples are to be on the way. So we don't just become disciples and say, good, now I'm good until he calls me home. When we choose to be his disciples, that's the beginning. That's that first step of a journey of a thousand miles. But it's a walk, right? Now it might be a marathon, but it's a walk nonetheless. So we take that first step, but are you willing to keep moving? You know, they say that a car is much easier to steer if it's moving, right, than if it's parked. So we need to keep moving. And that means we're learning. That translates into we're learning and we're growing and we're moving because Jesus can call us at any moment, at any time, at any age, in any stage of life to do something for him. So are you ready for the master's call? We move on. I love this part. So Jesus calls Matthew, and what do we see in verse 15? All of a sudden, they're in Matthew's house, reclining at a table, and there's a ton of other people there. There's tax collectors and sinners They're reclining with Jesus and his disciples. I love that picture. You know, back in the ancient Near East, how they would eat together? They would all sit around a table, not usually in chairs, maybe on a pillow, and the table was lower, and they would recline. Now, we tend to eat at a table, and then we're done eating, then we go recline, right? But they were kind of doing both at the same time. They're reclining. But doesn't that even give us a sense of intimacy? Like, they're around a table together, Right? Later on, we're going to have a meal together, and maybe we'll, we'll go recline with one another. And we'll, we'll get a little closer to each other and, and get involved in people's lives. We talked about that last week with the friends of the paralytic. We need to be invested in people's lives, helping each other walk in the faith. But what does Levi do? He throws a party. He is celebrating that he has found the Lord Jesus and he has committed his life to follow him and he wants all of his friends to do the same. It's a very simple application, I think, for us this morning, church, that Levi's response to the call of the Master is he says, yes, I'll follow you and let me introduce you to all my friends. So he wants to introduce his friends to Jesus so he throws a party and invites them. Do you know we can do the same thing today? We don't have Jesus walking amongst us, of course. But we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Lord Jesus with us 24-7. When we invite people to our house and be hospitable, we are inviting them to come to see what it looks like to be a disciple. We might share a meal together. We might take somebody out. We might try to just you know, engage in people's lives. But what do we take from this? Levi throws a party with whom? A bunch of sinners. So how about we take that as an application point for us this morning? How about you go home, put on your calendar a party with a bunch of sinners and invite all your friends, but don't forget to invite your friends from church because they're sinners too. See, later on when we have our fellowship lunch, we're going to be with a bunch of sinners. You just know that, right? But here in this context, it's those that had not yet met Jesus. 
Are you introducing your friends to Jesus? You have decided as a disciple to sit at the feet of the Master. Are you keeping that to yourself? Is this something that it's really not for anybody else? Like, I've chosen it. Maybe other people will. But how will they know if they do not hear? Have a party. Be hospitable. Get involved in people's lives so you can tell them about Jesus. There's many ways that we do what we call evangelizing. Sometimes it's effective. You, you go out into public and you, and you preach the gospel. We've seen people doing that. It can be effective. You never know where people are in their, in their stage of life. Somebody could be walking by and just hear a street preacher and, and that's it. But oftentimes, it takes building a relationship. You build trust and you, maybe you invite people into your home or you take them out for a meal. So much happens around a meal, doesn't it? It does. That's what Levi did. Matthew said, I've discovered Jesus. I'm going to follow him. Let me introduce all of my friends to Jesus. Why wouldn't he? Right? Sometimes we shy away from that. Can you just imagine the first disciple saying, what? Why would we shy away from that? Let us then introduce all those we know to Jesus. Let us introduce a lost and desperate world to the Lord Jesus. For He is the only one that offers true peace. He's the only one that offers true hope. The only one who is love Himself. But how will they know if they do not hear? It is our call, church, to be those missionaries to introduce Jesus to those people in our lives. For everyone needs the Lord Jesus. So let us be intentional about introducing people to Jesus. Let's take advantage of all those opportunities. You know, we often pray for divine appointments, don't we? That God, just give us somebody, Lord, to, to witness to today, to share our faith with. Are we going out there taking advantage of those opportunities? to do just that. So that's the second point of application. Have a party and eat with lots of sinners because Jesus did. So then, of course, they're there and, and what happens? The scribes, they're always there to just ruin the party. And so they get there and it says the scribes of the Pharisees in verse 16, when they saw what he was doing, he was eating with sinners. And Jesus, of course, was known as a rabbi and so that not even believing that he, of course, was the Messiah. They're saying, at least you're going to keep the law, aren't you, Jesus? Rabbi Jesus, how could you be eating with sinners and tax collectors? And so they pulled some of his disciples aside and said, why? Why does your master, why does Jesus eat with all these sinners and tax collectors? But of course, Jesus heard that. So Jesus himself responds, and he says this. I love this. Because at first it doesn't make sense, right? And you've got to think about it. And Jesus kind of has a little bit of the ironic wit to him, but he's always getting a point across. And he says, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, those are the ones that need a physician. Well, I mean, that makes sense, right? But he says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus is kind of throwing it right back in their face and He's kind of just 
being ironic with them and he's saying, look, this is what it really means. He's calling them out. He's saying, you think you're righteous, so therefore I came to bring a word to the righteous. See, like, you deserve to have my word. That's what he's saying to them. You scribes and Pharisees, because you're so holy and righteous, aren't you? Yes, you think that you're the one that deserves this. I came for you, not these lowly sinners and tax collectors. God forbid that they would ever associate with them. But Jesus is like, I came for the sick. So if you're righteous, you think so, you don't really need me then, do you? See, that's what he said. Don't we know a lot of people like that? Maybe we were like that. Maybe in some ways we still fall back into that. We don't need Jesus in every part of our life. Just those parts where we're kind of struggling. But as disciples, we're to surrender it all. To learn at the feet of Jesus, which in and of itself is a declaration that we know nothing and he is the master. So Jesus throwing it right back at the scribes. And he's saying, you know what? If you're really that well and you're healthy spiritually and you're righteous, you don't need the physician if that's the way you think. He says, I've come for the sinners. That's why I'm eating with the tax collectors and the prostitutes. And all those that you, scribes, have marginalized, that's who I'm with. You know, that's something I think that we value here. As we even look at the missionaries that we support, we support multiple missionaries that bring the gospel to the marginalized, the Roma in the Ukraine, to the poor and the needy on the streets of New York, to the prisoners Those who society has marginalized, those are the ones Jesus would be with. Now, everyone needs the Lord Jesus. We introduce them to everyone, but Jesus is making a point here, and he's calling out the religious leaders. So I think what this meant to me, reading through this, see where you stand with this, but I need to be reminded of where do I spend my time. Often, it can be easy to get into that Christian bubble. Why? Because it's, it's comfortable. Maybe we work with Christians. We serve with Christians at church. All of our friends are believers. It's important to kind of have all that, but do we do that to the, to the detriment of not hanging out with the tax collectors and sinners? Does everyone we know already know the Lord Jesus? How are we spending our time? Where are we? How many friends do we have that don't yet know the Lord Jesus? Do we spend time with them? Do we hang out with them like the Lord Jesus would? Why? So we have the opportunity, creating the opportunity to introduce them. Do you know Jesus? Yeah, I've heard of him. No, but do you know him? You might know a little about him, but I know him. Let me tell you what I know who I know in the Lord Jesus. See, we introduce them. But in order to do that, we have to be intentional about where we are and who we're spending time with. So the scribes are saying, Jesus, how can you spend time with these people? It's almost as if Jesus said, how could I not? Because they're the ones that know they are in need. It's the same thing that happened last week when the four friends of the paralytic, remember, and they lowered him down, What did Jesus do first? He did not heal his deformity physically. He first said, son, your sins are forgiven you. Because the paralytic must have known, because Jesus knows the heart, that he was in need of a Savior, that he was in need 
of spiritual healing. And Jesus is saying, those are the ones I have come for. If you don't think you need it, then you're blind already. See, we, as followers of Christ, as his disciples, are to go into those places where people know they are needy. And even those that don't yet know, we go to those whose society has marginalized. Even the church who says, you shouldn't go there, you shouldn't do that. I mean, that's a sermon for a whole nother day. But just consider, yes, we need to be mindful of where we spend our time and who are with, who's influencing us. But aren't we to be the influencers because we are the ones who are following Jesus Christ? Am I right? And so let's make sure we are intentional about who we spend time with, who we invite to that big party in our house, but where we are going. Are we too close and too far ingrained in that Christian bubble? Perhaps some of us need to break out of that. But then the scribes ask him a sort of a follow-up question. But then it says in verse 18 that John's disciples, John the Baptist, he still had some disciples that had not yet recognized Jesus as the one that John was, was pointing to, right? So John's disciples and the Pharisees, they were all fasting. Now here's why it was happening. There was really only, according to the law, one day a year, the Day of Atonement, where the Jews were called to fast. But... The religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, of course, they said, no, 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 we need to fast more because we need to be better, right? We need to be following the law to the T. We're going to follow all these traditions as well. So they had this tradition of fasting uh, twice a week. Usually it was on Mondays and Thursdays, okay? So they had set days during the week. So this was evidently, this party was happening on a Monday or Thursday, and so they're like, whoa, 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 not only are you eating with sinners and tax collectors, but you're eating, why are you eating? Why are you not fasting like the rest of us holy and righteous people? You see that? That's the tone of what's happening. And so then Jesus has to address that. Now he tells them three short parables. Only one we're looking at today. The other two we'll look at next week. But Jesus answers them with really the first parable that we see, especially in Mark. Because they say, they say, why? Why is it John's disciples and us, the Pharisees, we're fasting, but Jesus' disciples, they're having a big feast? And here's how Jesus answers. We'll spend just the last few minutes on this. It's, it's so important we get it. Look at verse 19 and 20. Jesus said to them, this is his response, can the wedding guests, or he's, he's kind of creating a scene, a parable, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom, he's the groom, we call him the groom, is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. Then they will fast in that day. So what Jesus is saying there in verse 20, it's the first hint at the crucifixion. So here's all that Jesus is saying, very simply. He's using a parable to tell it. Why does he do that? Because there's many who don't want to hear They have a blinder. They have a blinder on. Scripture says that those who don't yet know and believe, what? They are blinded to the truth. They're callous to the truth. And so Jesus tells them in a parable, and he says, look, he's saying this. Picture a wedding. Do you go to a wedding and sit around and mope and mourn and wallow in your sorrows? We've all been to a wedding, right? Do you go to a wedding 
And then there's sort of the cocktail hour first, and you just kind of sit and mope around. Like, is that what you do? No. It's the beginning of the party. And then they usually open the big doors. You go into the big ballroom, and you sit down, and what? It's more party, right? There's more to drink and more to eat. Why? Because a wedding is it's a time of celebration. And Jesus is making the point. It seems so simple, right? He's like, you don't go to a wedding and fast. Have you ever gone to a wedding and say, I'm not going to eat anything today. I'm going to fast. No, because you know what? You're giving some money, and you want to get your money's worth, right? Let's see, how much did they pay per plate? I, I need to eat a few plates worth, right? As they pass around the scallops wrapped in, in uh, bacon, give me some more of those, right? But the idea, of, of course, Jesus is saying it's like so simple, but that's the point he's making. He goes, when you go to a wedding and the, br- and the groom is there, are the groomsmen, like his men that come alongside of him, we all want with the groom and the groomsmen, right? They're supposed to be there to support him, help him celebrate and get ready, right? Make him a little nervous. Are you sure you're ready for this? They come alongside of him. And Jesus is saying, look, if the groom is there at the wedding, are the groomsmen sad? No, they're joyous. So, of course, we know from elsewhere in Scripture that we are the bride and he is the groom, right? The church is the bride. He is the groom. Jesus is saying very simply this, I am here. Didn't he come saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand? Remember I said what that means is he's there. He's in their midst. Jesus is saying, I am here. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that's anointed and called. I am here with you. Why on earth would you want to fast when I'm right here. He's saying it doesn't make sense. As long as they have the bridegroom, as long as my disciples have me with them, they're going to celebrate. And they're going to rejoice. And they're going to follow me and sit at my feet. And we're going to have a great time learning and bonding together. And we're going to rejoice and celebrate. She says that's what happens at a wedding. Now we know that Jesus did go to the cross. And he There was an intimation there for it because he says there will be a time. He's telling the religious leaders, there's going to be a time for fasting. And that's when the groom is taken away. You know what's interesting in the Greek, the taken away? It really has this sense of by force. Jesus was already foreshadowing and giving a glimpse that there's going to be a time when he's going to be taken from them, even from this earth, by force. But Jesus says until then, Don't you dare tell my disciples to fast in the morning. Because when you fast, it was always a sign of mourning. But for the religious leaders, it was a a false mourning. Yes, God, we're sorry for our sins. They didn't really mean it. But Jesus says, now is the time to celebrate. Church, now is the time to celebrate. Yes, Jesus doesn't walk among us, but we have the Holy Spirit. Jesus is with us 24-7. We are to celebrate, to celebrate that we have Hope in Christ. We have new life in Him. The old is gone, the new has come. That's what Jesus is saying. Celebrate the newness. When you go to a wedding, what are you celebrating? A new relationship. The bride and the groom coming together as one and making that commitment of life together in the name of the Lord Jesus, in the sight, right, in the presence of God and family and friends. And Jesus is saying, look, it's like a wedding celebration. I am with my church that I'm building my disciples, and we're together. But church, now today in the year 2018, we have the Lord Jesus. We have him with us every step of the way as we walk in faith. 
but we also have that great hope of his return. We look forward to that. Why? Because what does Scripture also tell us? What will it look like when he returns? There will be a wedding feast of the Lamb. That great wedding celebration. You see, we can look forward to that as well. So we have a picture. You know, marriage is a picture of the gospel. It really is. And so we see in that this great celebration. There's a, a reason. You go to a wedding, a wedding and you celebrate the union and the joy is there and you have a big feast and you eat a lot of food and you do that together. We are looking forward to doing that face to face with our Savior once again. But until then, he's got work for us to do. We are to walk in faith by his side every step of the way, introducing all the people we know with Jesus that we found. Remember we've said that we are but beggars showing other beggars where to find bread. We are but saved sinners showing others where to find that salvation. Right? It tells us in Romans 10.14, how will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching and telling them? You see that? You see what Paul is saying in Romans 10.14 there? How are people going to believe if they have not heard of Him? How are they going to hear if you don't tell them? However it is that you take the opportunity to tell them. Introduce those you know and love to your Savior and Lord Jesus. Have a big party with a whole bunch of sinners. Put it on the invitation card. You put it on Facebook and you send it out there. Calling all sinners. Come to my house. See how many people you get, right? Everyone needs Jesus. In church, if you're a believer... The Lord Jesus, if you are, you're part of the church. And you have found him, and he has found you. We praise God for that. But we are need to tell others about him as well. Just like Levi, just like Matthew did. He invited them all over. And Jesus then calls out the scribes and says, you know what, we're celebrating. We're celebrating now. There'll be a day when we are to mourn and reflect and remember a day of fasting And that's what we move to now to end our time together.